Okay, we are still in Proverbs, and I know it's been a long time. So let's turn in our Bibles uh, back to Proverbs, and uh, we completed, it's been several weeks, so let me remind you that uh, we're in the section of Proverbs that gets very difficult uh, to study, at least. The first uh, ten chapters have context, they read very similar to other parts of the Bible, and then after that... Uh, Solomon and uh, others that were involved in putting this book together um, go into this seemingly random sort of shotgun fashion where you can literally have two dozen topics in one chapter, and that makes it a bit challenging to study. Um, so what we're doing now, uh, just to try to navigate through these these chapters, is to think about topics. And uh, we've talked about wealth and money and finances most recently, and now we're going to turn and talk for a couple of weeks about wisdom with your words, wisdom with our words, wisdom and words. The Bible has a lot to say about our mouths and our words, and um, I, let, me, let me just ask you this. Um, have you ever put your foot in your mouth? I mean, not, not literally, but... Do I ever get it out? Do you ever get it out? Yeah, yeah. Yes, a closed mouth gathers no feet. Is that is that a proverb? That sounds like it should be in here. Yeah, yeah. So so G- Jesus said something, and I, I want to start just by 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 telling you a verse that you already know, and then we'll we'll uh, we'll jump into the material that you have. Jesus said this, and I want you to just let it sink in because it's so profound, uh, and yet I think we're prone to to miss a lot of it. Jesus said this: By your words, you will be justified by your words you will be condemned just take that in for a minute that that is huge what is more important than justification or condemnation and jesus says that comes down to your words and we might say well i I thought if it's if you know about trusting Jesus from our hearts, and what's this word thing? Well, you're going you're gonna to see as we get into our study why that is true, why our words will ultimately be what justify us or what condemn us. But that's not where we're going to start. We're going to start in our little series on words and wisdom in the book of Genesis. So if you would turn in your Bible back with me to Genesis chapter 1, the psalm that we read alluded to this but but I want I want to start here because this is this is part of understanding the nature of words and the power of words and uh, so let's look back here Genesis chapter 1 as you're turning there of course this is the creation week God creates the universe everything in it in 6 days um uh, amazing uh we were out in um Eastland at the Solid Rock camp and you know beautiful lake and wonderful trees and and then on the way home Yesterday, this amazing thunderstorm. I mean, how, any guys get stuck in that thing? I was trying to get our Alan and I were trying to get our speaker back to the airport, and we're looking at the radar, going, "We really don't want to go this way." And and it was like uh, almost zero visibility on the I-20, which is not a good way to drive. Um, by God's grace, we got there. But but you think about the power of a thunderstorm and and supercells and wind and rain and just just this whole thing. That is a part of God's amazing, incredible creation. And uh, just look with me at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. How did God do this? 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And, and this, this just, just blows my mind, okay? In this room right now is a whole spectrum of what we think of as radio waves. All, you guys have a phone on you? Your phone is pinging a tower somewhere nearby via radio frequency communication. Um, these projectors are Wi-Fi enabled. There's a Wi-Fi network in here. So there's all this stuff. The sensation of heat, right? Heat energy in this room. Um, light, it's the reason I can see you and you can see me. Sound, it's the reason you can hear me and I can hear you. There's this whole spectrum of radio frequency from x-rays and gamma rays all the way down to the long waves they talk about on submarines for communication, everything in between. And God creates that whole part of creation by speaking it. Let there be in this verse. He just he just says it. And that whole thing is invented and designed and, and carried out and put into place and is sustained. And we go, who is this? That can just speak things into existence. But the reason that's profound is not just the power of words, but the fact that our God is a speaking God. And you may say, well, of course he's a speaking God. No, I don't know. But you know, in other religions, other cultures, and especially in the ancient Near East, the gods that were embraced in the surrounding cultures many times were not gods who communicated in any sort of way that, that we would think about. You know, they might communicate through uh, tragedy or they might communicate through a, a storm. But a speaking God, a God that actually communicates with words and language, that was almost unheard of in the ancient Near East. And yet this is the true God. The, the, the true God is a speaking God who communicates using words and language and even condescends so that we can understand that language. I mean, th- think, of, think of what we would not know about God if he didn't communicate with us in a language that we could understand. And we talk about general revelation, right? God, God reveals himself in creation. We say, wow, that's awesome. It's a beautiful sunset. It's an amazing thunderstorm. God must be really powerful. But that, that, that revelation is limited, isn't it? But then when God reveals himself to us through words and language and scripturated in the Bible that we now have, we get to know God in in a profoundly personal and detailed way. So why does that matter? Because if we fast forward from day one to day six in creation, so look down at verse 26. This is the end of the creation week. It's day six, Friday of the creation week. God says, let us make man... In our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Which means, and this is the first note on your outline, we were made in the image of a speaking God. The capacity for language, the capacity for verbal communication in human beings is directly connected to the fact that we were made in the image and likeness of God and God is a speaking God. You see that? 
And so, I don't know if you ever thought about this, your ability to talk shouts and demonstrates you are made in God's image. You are God's creation. Now, God made all sorts of other stuff, animals, plants, the sun, the moon, and stars. And, 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 and talk to me here. Do animals communicate? Sure. sure they do. How's that go? Slightly different, isn't it? And we thought, oh, well, but we discovered that dolphins do that little you know, radio wave thing. And all. Yeah, sure, and profound as that is, you do not have anything remotely like human language in the animal kingdom. So, so you see there's, a, there, there's a, a form of communication that happens but not like a speaking God. That, that's a unique facet of what it means to be made in the image of God. And that's where we have to start, with words and language, because this capacity given by God, uniquely an expression of being made in the image of God, th- that says something about how and why we're able to speak and how we ought to speak. We, we, uh, we, think, we think about thinking God thoughts after him, right? We study scripture and we want to renew our minds to think God's thoughts after him. And there's a sense in which we study the word and we learn to speak like God speaks. Like everything about the image of God. Why are we made in the image of God? Why did he do that? What's the point of that? <clears throat> okay, the purpose of likeness, all right. So that we can do what? So we can fellowship with with him. You think about that? God speaks to us and he gives us the capacity to speak so we can do what? We can speak to him. So so this this language becomes a vehicle, follow me, uh, human language becomes a vehicle of relationship and communication. And, and industry, if we were to go on here, he's going to say, you know, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. Sometimes we call that the creation mandate. You know, remember, remember the Tower of Babel when God confused the languages and all of a sudden all the, all the industry just comes to a close, you know, it comes to a halt. So relationship and, and the ability to, to do what God has put us here to do depends on that capacity. So that's where we have to start, that God is a speaking God. We are made in his image and the capacity to speak is fundamental to having a relationship with God and having a relationship with other people as God designs, as an expression of his image. Okay, does that make sense? Are you with me? So far, so good? So if we, if we start there, we recognize that uh, this is a, a uniquely human capability that, reflect, that is reflected in uh, God's very image in us in that way. Okay, now what we're going to notice, and with that backdrop... Solomon in Proverbs is going to have a lot to say about our words and language. Um, Because it is fundamental to relationship, it is fundamental to work, uh, it is fundamental to what it means to reflect God's image, God is very picky when it comes to our words. He he has a lot to say about our words and how we use them. So what I want to do today is just kind of introduce you to this topic. And uh, we're going to hit several little bullet points here in in our notes to talk about the, the nature of words and um, how God desires us to honor him in the use of those words. So let's turn back to the book of Proverbs now. And uh, as you know, we'll look at a number of different Proverbs here. I'd, I'd love for you to follow along in your Bible. I'll have some of the verses on the PowerPoint. If you'd rather just watch, that's fine. Read them off the screen. 
But the, the, the first thing, and, and this goes back to Jesus' comment, by your words you'll be justified, by your words will be condemned. The first thing we have to recognize is what we might call the revelation of words. Words are really, really important, not just because of what they have the power to do, but because of what they reveal about you. Okay? You hear that? So our words are important, not just because of what we can do with them, but because of what they reveal about us. Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2. If you want to turn over there, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 2. Actually, that's not 15.2. What is that? Did your notes say 15.2? What's that? Yeah. Yeah. Is that 15.2? Yeah, okay. Got it. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. So what is that? There's a bunch built into that little verse, but what does that show us about the nature of words? What do they reveal? Okay. Our words reveal our character. All right, what else? Whether you're wise or foolish. Did you see this? It's not just that we should try to be, you know, honoring to God in our words, although that's true, but this is saying, um, do you know how to identify a fool? Just listen to him or her. Do you know how to identify a wise person? Just listen for a little bit. Um, look at another one. Look at 1031. 1031. Uh, now this one, this one's graphic. There, there's some proverbs that are graphic, okay? So, so stay with me here. Proverbs 1031. The mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom. It's that same thing, right? How do you know if this person is a wise person or kind of a foolish person? Well, the tongue or the mouth of the righteous flow with wisdom. So so what's what are we seeing here? What, what's the connection? There, there's a connection between your words and what? And who you are. Now, a footnote to that, we know that we can deceive with our words, right? We can, we can sort of put on a show with our words. But at the end of the day, what we're expressing verbally, even, even in our being deceitful, if that's what we're doing, reveals most fundamentally what's in our heart. And that's why Jesus says, by your words you will be justified and your words you will be condemned not that not that there's there, there certainly is power in the words but the reason our words are so instrumental is they reveal us it reveals me it reveals my heart 
And, and speaking of Jesus, let me just show you this. Uh, uh, it's in the New Testament and over in, in Luke chapter 6. Just turn over there for a moment because I think this, this takes what we're seeing in Proverbs and just drives it home so, so well. Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus is teaching in the context here. Uh, it's, a, it's a parallel sermon to the Sermon on the Mount, probably a different occasion, but a lot of the same topics that he's discussing here. And in Luke chapter 6, um, he, he has this analogy, and you've heard this before. Luke chapter 6, look at verse 43 with me. Uh, Luke six forty-three. Jesus is speaking. There is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. I call that spiritual kindergarten, right? Good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. Pretty straightforward, right? And uh, this is so instructive, um, just thinking about ministry. M- maybe, maybe you've got a neighbor. You've got a neighbor. And this neighbor is a great person, and you've known him for a number of years. Uh, church-going family. But as you've gotten to know this neighbor, like a lot of people that live in the Bible Belt, they're just, it's kind of a nice, a nice person, church-going person. But as you get to know them, you, you recognize that the, the fruit of the life is not consistent with what the Bible says a real believer would produce. Right? Nice, nice guy, church-going family. But you're not seeing spiritual fruit. So what do you do? You say, well, he's a nice guy, great neighbor, we'll just, we'll just keep being nice. Or do you say, you know, this wonderful person may not really be a believer. They may not be a, they may have bought in to the cultural Christianity that is Hood County, Texas. And if you love your neighbor, as I love my neighbor, I want to try to do something about that. I want to try to minister to help them to see what true faith, what true Christianity really is. So Jesus helps us with that because he says, whatever's on the tree shows you what kind of tree it is. You don't walk around and go, oh, gee, look, there's apples on that tree. I wonder if it's an orange tree. You don't do that because the tree is revealed by the fruit that it gives. That's Jesus' point. And it's true with trees, and it's true with people, which, of course, is his point. Verse 44, for each tree is known by its fruit. Now, now notice the change, the analogy. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. Okay, we're not talking about agronomy. We're talking about people. Verse 45, because the good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good, and the evil man, out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Here's the key phrase. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. What's Jesus saying? He's saying there's a conduit. There's a pipe, if you will, between your heart, the spiritual part of you, the inner man, the real you, in your mouth, it's a pipe, right? And whatever is filling your heart, whatever's in your heart, comes out of your mouth. And that's why our words are so revealing. That's why Jesus says, by your words you'll be justified, your words will be condemned, because your words reveal what you really 
are and what you really believe, what type of person you are. Um, now, be honest with me for a minute. Have you ever said something and you go, where did that come from? Or maybe you're on the receiving end of that thing. You're, where did that come from? And typically in scenarios like that, we think, oh, I was just having a really bad day. You know, I just got up on the wrong side of the bed, didn't sleep well enough. Or, oh, you know, so-and-so, you know, he's overworked, he's got a project at the office that's been, you know, just tearing him up, you know. And we ought to give grace. I mean, that's a good thing to do. But our evaluation is wrong. Because in the moments of pressure and stress and difficulty, what comes out of our mouth is more indicative of what's really in our heart than when things are going better. So those things that come out, we say, where did that come from? That, sometimes we say, well, that's out of character. Well, it might be abnormal, but where's it coming from? According to Jesus, where's it coming from? Coming from the heart. So that, that's indicting, isn't it? That's indicting to all of us because we, we've all been there. So this is so important, starting off, you know, made in the image of God with this wonderful capacity for language. And, and right out of the gate, Solomon says, look, here's why your words are important, because your words reveal you. Your words reveal what type of person you are, what you believe, what's going on under the hood. And, and in that way, words are sort of diagnostic, aren't they? You ever had an engine light come on in your car? Bloop, check engine. And do you guys remember the day, old days when that was basically a light? They even called it a dummy light because all it told you was, yeah, put a piece of tape over it. You know, nowadays you hook up the, the code puller and, bloop, oh, okay, my catalytic converter uh, sensor, oxygen sensor is bad. And, okay, and you go to AutoZone and you buy one and you replace it and you're, you're off, right? Um, our words are diagnostic. They reveal our heart. So when stuff comes out of our mouth and we go, man... For whatever reason, I don't like what's coming out of my mouth. That's the diagnostic. You put the code puller on your heart and say, what's wrong? What's wrong with my heart? Okay. So on your notes there, uh, the verse there, his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. The words reveal us. We'll call that the revelation of words. All right. Turn back to Proverbs. Let's talk secondly about the power of words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Not only are words revealing or diagnostic, they reveal us. Um, Words have power. Now, what did you notice about the creation narrative and God's words as they relate to power? That's power. Right? You remember when Jesus calms the storm on the boat and the disciples, who is this that even the, the winds and the sea obey him? You know, that's just, you know, we're driving down I-20, pouring rain, I can't see 10 feet in front of me. And it would have been really nice to just say, storm, stop, I'm trying to get my friend to the airport. And I could have done that if I was blue in the face and nothing would have changed. But when Jesus talks to the storm, it listens, it obeys. 
So that demonstrates, now follow me on this. We see, in fact, do this sometime. If, if you, if you like, do you like to do little topical studies in your Bible? You know, get on the Bible software or website, just type in words and track a theme throughout Scripture. It's a lot of fun to do, uh, even as a, a devotional time, just do a little study like that. There is an amazing correlation between the power of God in Scripture and the Word of God in Scripture. Those things correlate over and over and over again from Genesis to Revelation. And that's part of what we're supposed to see. God gives us this capacity to speak. Now, we can't speak in the universe forms. We can't do that. But in a, in a much, much smaller way, God, in, his Im- in this image that we have, this capacity to speak, that capacity to speak has power, has huge power. Uh, notice in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, look at this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Really? Okay, we, we got to talk about that. So how does that work? How does death and life, how, how is that in the power of the tongue? Talk to me. What do you think? Okay. Hmm. Yeah. 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 And I, I think, I mean, there, there's a couple of ways you can take this, this verse and that, that's how I take it. I, I think Solomon is, is speaking of life and death metaphorically more saying if, well, okay, a, a, let's call it a verbally abusive relationship. Let's call it that. We can call it bullying we can call it a difficult home life where what is heard from mom and dad or one parent is hurtful degrading tearing down constant belittling constant criticism and it can it it, it can destroy you i mean i mean uh, this this was actually just just um the whole bullying thing and the, and the bullying movement that started five or seven years ago is highlighting the fact that, you know, there are young people every day who take their own life because of bullying. Because, because people at school are calling them horrible names and picking on them and criticizing them. And then, of course, that's not good enough. Social media and they're destroying their reputation online. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Um, and I, I think I think I agree with you. I think that that's the way I would take this. Uh, there's other ways you can understand it, but it's saying there is such potential to destroy somebody with your words. But notice it's not just the capacity for bad. What other capacity is built in here? Pa- capacity for life. Um, how many of you became a Christian? in part because somebody talked to you about Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay? You see? And that, that's life in the, in the ultimate sense, eternal life. Um, it could be life just in terms of flourishing, just in terms of healthy relationships in the home and, and love and kindness and edification and whatnot. But there's this huge potential. And, and that's where... Okay, so so 
Our words reveal our heart, right? They, they, they tell us something about who we really are. And then it's like God gives us, it's like God gives us a scalpel. He gives us a knife that's razor sharp. And he says, you can use this to kill somebody. Or you can use it to do surgery that might save somebody. You see that? So language, words are a tool that can be used for wonderful things. As as glorious as preaching the gospel to somebody. Or we can literally destroy somebody, even in the case of of bullying and, and abusive relationships where someone takes their life. Now, Look at the second part. And those who love it will eat its fruit. What does that mean? Sometimes the second part of the proverb is the harder part to understand. What does that mean? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. What's that mean? Okay. Okay. Eat its fruit, the, the, the fruit meaning the power of the tongue, all right? So, so love it, the power of the tongue will eat its fruit, the power of the tongue. Okay, the modif- those love it and eat its fruit go back to the power of the tongue, which is the subject uh, we're thinking about there, okay? So yeah, it, it does have something to say about consequences, doesn't it? it? I think what this is saying is, if you understand what this tool of language and communication really means, if you understand the potential... There is great, great opportunity for you to see the fruit in a good way from what your words might do as God is gracious to use those words. Right? There's great potential here. Look up on the screen. Here's another verse. 11 verse 1. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But watch this. By the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Um, community, right? By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is torn down. Um, think about, think about what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah, for example. Uh, think about what was going on in Nineveh before Jonah went and preached. Uh, think of how civilizations are destroyed by words. And whether people in community use those words helpfully or they don't. Of course, we can see that even at a small scale in the home. Um, I want to take you to one more place in the New Testament. Um, and we can't, we can't not talk about this text when we're talking about the power of words. Uh, follow me over to James chapter 3. We won't have a chance to go through this verse by verse. But let me just whet your appetite a bit in James chapter 3. Yes. 11.11, thank you. Um, <clears throat> James chapter 3. I'll just read some portions here. Uh, James writing to uh, Jewish believers who have been dispersed. They the The... We call it the the diaspora, right? They've been dispersed abroad. They're they're fleeing because of persecution. 
Chapter 3, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. But if anyone does not, listen to this, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, the first time you read that, you go, that sounds too simple. That almost sounds wrong. If you could completely be in control of your words, you'd be a perfect man. Now, based on what we've seen in other verses, why is that true? Because your words reveal your your heart, right? And if your heart is under control all the time, then your words are going to be in control all the time, and that means what? Your whole life is under control, isn't it? That's why James. That's what James is getting at here. Our words are just showing a heart that is in control or not in control. Now, notice this. If we put bits in the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also, for they are so great and driven by strong winds and yet are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. And he goes on to talk about the the power and the destruction of a tongue. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire? And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The, the tongue, is, tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Look at verse 8. No one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. So James helps us to see the power of the tongue and how when our words are in control, that shows that our heart is in control, which gives us a, uh, an overall self-control in life. But then he says... You know, without without transformation of the gospel, without some sort of divine intervention, no one tames the tongue. No one tames it because it just expresses a heart that is um, not honoring to the Lord. So huge potential, and the imagery here: a forest set on fire, on, a forest set on fire, a, a huge ship driven by a small rudder. We see the power of the tongue in the illustrations that he uses. So there's great power in our words for good or for bad. And that's why we need to pay attention and make sure that we're using our words for good. Now, let's talk uh, in the rest of our time here about words that hurt. And then we'll come back next week and we'll talk about words that help and words that benefit. Okay, these, these two ways here. Because what Solomon does is Solomon says, okay, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Let me show you some ways that you can use your mouth for the wrong purposes. Let, let me show you some ways you really have to be careful about. And then he'll say, let me show you some good things that you can use your words for. Okay? So let's do the first one. Talk about words as a weapon. Words as a weapon. I, I might say, uh, um, well, I'm doing a talk for ACBC this fall called Sword Words. And it's it's about verbal abuse. And um, uh, the the text, some of the text we're going to look at here uh, come from, kind of led me to that title and that topic. Words as a weapon. You know what I mean by that? 
um, we said uh, our words, our capacity for language is a tool that we can use. And it is. It's like a scalpel. You can hurt somebody with it or you can help heal somebody with it. And sometimes we view words as a weapon, a, a way of hurting other people. So let's look at some of this and then we'll get some examples. With his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. But through knowledge, the righteous will be delivered. So let's just talk about that. What are some ways that we can use words as a weapon for wickedness? Yeah. Gossip. Okay. We'll talk about gossip in a minute, but that's, that's a huge, that's a, uh, I would say a great way. It's a great way. No, it's a horrible way to talk, but yeah, it illustrates, yeah. Retribution. Okay, so ret- yeah, getting even with somebody. So we use our words to hurt somebody who's hurt us, let's say, or get back at somebody who's done something to us. Okay, good. What else? Degrade. Okay, yeah, where we, we speak unkindly to somebody about their abilities or their capabilities or their performance. We, we tear them down in that way. Okay, what else? Deceit. Okay, lying. Well, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Um, what else? Manipulation. Yeah, we start talking about this. There's all sorts of ways we can hurt people with our words. Um, manipulation. Okay, good. What else? Flattery. Okay, good. Lies. Good. What about even not talking? You ever withdrawn as a way to get back at the other person? I'm not going to speak to you. I've um, I've had a, a few counseling sessions over the years where I'm talking to somebody and uh, they're having whatever the topic is, and come to find out that there's a there's a family member that they've not talked to in like eight years, and you go and and, and caveat footnote to that sometimes that's not the person's fault. Sometimes it's the other person that just doesn't pick up the phone, doesn't answer the email, doesn't respond to the text, okay? Romans 12, 18, as much as it depends on you, live at peace at all men, right? Sometimes it doesn't depend on you. But I'm talking to this person, and it's like, so you haven't even tried to talk to them in eight years? Oh, well, I've, Pastor, I've forgiven them. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Um, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, just the whole idea of withdrawing, giving give a person the cold shoulder, d- disconnecting from the relationship, whatever it is. A- and that can be a way that we punish or hurt or get back at somebody who's hurt us. Any other ways? Proverbs 12, 6. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood. Notice the imagery here. Solomon is saying, talking to his boys, Solomon says, I want you to think about your words like the weapons of ambush. You ever seen old western? Remember the old westerns and you know the the stagecoach with the money is coming through the canyon and the bad guys have positioned themselves in strategic places. Remember this? Every western has this scene in it, right? No matter what it is. And they're coming around the hill and they're going to ambush and they're going to jump. The horses come up and the masks come on and you know pull over and you know, they, they switch over and they run off with the money, right? 
That's the imagery here. Solomon is saying to his son, sometimes we use our words like an ambush. And, and we're, 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 we're locked and loaded. We're, we're, we're ready and prepared to jump on somebody with our words in order to get what we want, to hurt them in some way, to get back at them. The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood like an ambush, but the mouth of the upright will deliver. That just die? Okay. Um, finally, Proverbs 6.27, a worthless man digs up evil while his words are a scorching fire. See, it wasn't James that came up with that imagery first. It was Solomon. A worthless man digs up evil. This is uh, 16.27 while his words are a scorching fire. Okay, So words as a weapon would be one way that we can hurt people with them. Let's talk about another way. Uh, flip over to 10.19. And this may surprise you. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. There's a second way that we can use words inappropriately, and that is with excessive words. Now, I'm a preacher. I talk for a living. And so just know that uh, I, am, I am teaching first and foremost to myself because uh, those of us that do this can be guilty of this regularly. Um, Proverbs 10:19. When there are many words, what happens? What's your Bible say? Did you know that? Sometimes we set ourselves up for sin because of the magnitude of our words. Or put it like this, you're more likely to sin the more likely you're talking. And isn't that great advice? Uh, you know, whatever you're like, you, you may be one of those persons that hates to talk. You're just, I, I would be, my, my perfect day is not seeing another human being, you know, and I just, I'm in my garden, just, just working away, me and the flowers, you know, enjoying Jesus, me and the flowers and, you know, and that's my, or, or, or I'm in the garage and I'm working on restoring that car or I'm working on some project and if I don't see another human being, me and the car are having great fellowship. Uh, that may be you. Or you may be one of those people who gets like this when you're not around people. You know, just, I gotta find somebody. I need somebody. Huh, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Facebook, yes, alright, you know, and what, wherever you're at on, on the relational spectrum, okay, what this verse is saying is you need to be careful with your words in terms of the, the number of these. In fact, um, this verse rebukes me to be more concise and precise with our words. Fewer is better, is what this is saying. Yep. Good parallel mm -hmm. is uh, 21, <laughs> yes, yes, watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut, yeah. 
Yeah, uh, he who guards his mouth and his tongue guards his soul from trouble. So that's, that's not a bad translation. And new living has a, a, a punch to it sometimes. It's, that gets the essence of it, yeah. Okay, so where words are many, transgression is unavoidable. Now let, let's, let's talk, but notice, notice the, uh, the contrast here. A lot of Proverbs give a contrast, right? Where words are many, transgression is unavoidable. He who restrains his lips is wise. So let's talk here, because we want to get really practical here. What are some areas of your life... Yeah, I'm not saying a thing. I'm doing signs in here. Um, What are some areas of your life where it is especially important to limit your words? This is the part where you talk. You come up with some ideas. When you're angry. Yes. Good. Where else? What's that? In a rebuke. Okay, when you have to correct somebody. When you're wrong. Okay. All right. I see husbands and wives looking at each other here. This is, um, what's that? Discipline of a child. Yeah, very good. We don't want to give our kids a sermon, you know, when they're three or 13. You don't want to reveal too much. When you don't want to reveal too much. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Do you know the Bible limits the content of what we're allowed to share? And and one, I think one way that, that this verse completely is right in terms of leading to transgression is when we are of the personality or disposition or upbringing or whatever it is where we tend to want to share more than we ought to share. And we end up saying things that we shouldn't share. Dramatizing. Dramatizing. Okay. Um, okay, so is everybody thoroughly convicted? I am. Can we move on? 1728. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered wise. 1728. I'm sorry, I didn't give you a chance to get there. Turn over to 1728. Even a fool, when he keeps silent, is considered his considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is considered prudent. I have something Yeah. Right. This is right. <laughs> it's like, but even as a kid growing up, people always took me for being more intelligent than, uh-huh. than I am just because if it's something I don't know anything about, I just keep my mouth shut. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, there was no intentional wisdom there. It was more like a fear of looking stupid. <laughs> well, and, 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 uh, and I love my brother Nick. I, I think. I think that's a bit of what this verse is getting at. I mean, is is that, you know, it's better to just kind of keep your mouth shut and not say anything if you don't really know or you don't have something helpful to say. Um, it's better to do that. And, and I think, and we're going to see this in a moment, but 
the right, the difference between the fool and the righteous, you know, this isn't saying, you know, don't ever talk. It's saying a wise man opens his mouth when he has something godly or helpful to say. And otherwise, he doesn't. Right. Just admit, you know, I don't know all there is to know about that, mm-hmm. but I can find out. Yeah. Let me get back to you. Get back mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the advantage of that actually is through that, you're maybe even getting a second opportunity to talk to the person. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay, one more. 2920. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. This is a good verse for me to remember for my refraining my words in this yeah. yeah. And even now, just talking to you, I need to know I said that. <laughs> yeah, I notice all of you have gotten a little bit quieter than you were the first part of the class. Yeah. yeah, you're being prudent. Yeah. No, that's true. And um, there's a little phrase in Ephesians 4:29 that I think about all the time, and it's it's about speaking, and the phrase is according to the need of the moment. And it helps me to remember that before I open my mouth and assume that it would honor God to say something, to think about what is the spiritual need here? And I have to make some sort of evaluation. And if the evaluation is, it might be better just to sit with my friend. Uh, It might be better to wait for a better time. Um, So that's a, I appreciate what you're saying, Ray Jean, because I think evaluating that is important. So 29.20, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? Now, this is a little bit different. We've gone from the quantity of words to the urgency of words, right? Um, Do you see a man hasty in his words? Um, A man quick to speak. And what does James say? Let everyone be. Quick to. Yeah, quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to anger. Okay. So, yeah, do you see a man hasty in his words? When you're quick to respond, um, there's more hope for a fool than for you. Okay, well, there it is. Okay. Um, so excessive speech, we want to think about how much we're speaking. We want to think about how quickly we are speaking. Um, this gets in, we'll talk about listening uh, another time, but, um, part of the reason the Bible cautions us about reacting, speaking too quickly is it probably means we haven't listened very well. And I don't know how this works in in your marriage or your family or your workplace like it does in mine, but when we don't listen so well, a lot of bad things can happen. Sometimes you don't hear the whole thing. I mean, even even what they're saying is not the whole thing. Yeah. So you need to gather more information. Yes. That's a lot of work. Yes. Ask for clarification. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Let's talk about one more, and then we'll uh, we'll call it a day here. Flattering speech. One of you mentioned this. 
What is flattery? Flattery means telling another what he wants to hear, but from an insincere or selfish motive. Okay? It's telling another what he needs to hear, or excuse me, what he wants to hear, but from an insincere or selfish motive. It may also take more of the form of excessive compliments. Now, there are people that are more encouraging people, and they just like to encourage. That's fine. What we're talking about here is excessive compliments. Now, um, if we look over, if you're in Proverbs 29, uh, look at verse 5. Proverbs 29, verse 5. Um, Well, actually, let's look at this verse, and then let's talk about why is flattery a problem. 29.5 says this, A man who flatters his neighbor is spreading a net... For his steps. And, and the image of spreading a net would be, he, he's, he's setting a trap for him. He's, he's doing something that might trip this person up down the road. So why, why is flattery a trap? Or why does it seem to be something that might hinder the person or trip them up in life in some way? A false sense of confidence. Yeah, what's your motive? Sure. Um, what's the problem with telling somebody what they want to hear? May not, may not be the truth. Right? It may give them a false confidence. It may be a false motive. So, what? What? Um, why would we do that? What? What might? Let's talk about motivation for a minute. What might motivate us to tell somebody? What they want to hear. Okay. All right. Maybe there are consequences. We can take it both ways, right? Maybe there are bad consequences we're trying to avoid. Maybe there are good consequences we're trying to ensure. Okay. Good. Very good. What else? We don't like confrontation. Yes. How many of you have done that? How many of you have said what the other person wants to hear? Because you didn't want to say probably what they needed to hear because it was hard. And then we give them a false confidence, right? And then that goes uncorrected. Okay, what else? What other... There you go. That's right. Okay. It happens in the workplace all the time, doesn't it? It can be manipulative. Manipulative. Yeah. Yeah. None of us did this in school, you know, where you, you kind of flatter the teacher to try to get a better grade, you know, and um, right? Or coaches, right? Happened with coaches. Um Uh huh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think too. Um, it, it is it is hard to speak the truth in love sometimes, and it's a lot easier to just tell somebody what they want to hear. Have you ever? Okay, be honest. Have you ever told somebody what they want to hear just to get them off your back? Okay, just I just don't want to deal with this, so I'm just going to say whatever I need to say to end the conversation. Um, that happens, and all sorts of other things. 
So, but, but again, flattery is sinful because it may not be the truth and it may not come from a pure motive. So that's, that's why the Bible indicts us in this. Um, Sure. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. A false confidence. Yeah. And, and you know, you guys know this. We all need, because none of us is all that God wants us to be yet. And because we are often blind to our most obvious weaknesses, we need a loving spouse. We need a well-intentioned son or daughter or boss or pastor um, friend, neighbor, we need people to tell us the truth. Or sometimes we don't grow in areas where we need to grow. So flattery is one of those things that short circuits God's plan to help all of us to grow in areas that we otherwise may not see very clearly. But that means we have to have a pure motive, right? And it means we have to speak the truth in love in ways that are helpful. On the screen there, 26, 28, a lying tongue Haste hates those it crushes, and a flattering mouth works ruin. We talk about the, 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 the fallout from this. We think, well, if I just, if I just say something to get the, the boss off my back, what harm is that? This is saying it leads to ruin. In 2.16, talking about, as, as we, we talked about this uh, several months ago, but as Solomon is introducing uh, his sons to wisdom. He talks about how wisdom in 2.16 can deliver you from the strange woman. Now remember the strange woman in Solomon is just anybody who's not your spouse. Okay, so adulterous, immoral woman gets translated different ways. From the adulteress who does what? Flatters with her words. So think about that. Flattery is a part of temptation leading to sin, isn't it? Or can be. When we are the recipients of flattery, that is smoothing the path into sin, as in the case with the adulterous woman who, who says to the, the uh, young man, you know, the prostitute says to the young man all sorts of things designed to have him have a big head about the situation and leading him into that immoral relationship. Okay, um, by your words you will be justified, by your words will be condemned. The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Let's keep that in mind as we ask for God's grace uh, to have a heart that honors him and then speech that comes out of that heart that brings him glory. So let's pray. Father, we're grateful for our time together and uh, there is such potential for both good and bad in this amazing capacity of language that you've given us would you help us to apply the grace of the gospel and in sanctification uh, the work of the holy spirit to sanctify our words make us men and women who will honor you and love our neighbor uh, with this wonderful capacity that you've given us in jesus name amen